Reimagining Black Relations, a podcast on solutions to issues relating to the Black race. Welcome to another episode of Reimagining Black Relations. I'm your host, Dr. Francesca Fajimi. If you've ever had any dealings with Blacks, you have a Black matter, so this is for you. Together, let's begin to shape and reimagine our Black relations. Whether you are Black, white, or brown, trust me, you will learn, gain, and execute just by listening. Come along. Our guest today is Deborah Kayembe, a principal of Deborah Kayembe Lawyer Linguist, who focuses on matters involving legal, political, language issues, as well as human rights and international law. Ms. Kiyembe speaks seven languages, French, English, Swahili, Lingala, Portuguese, Luba, and Kikongo. She relocated to the United Kingdom in 2005 and joined the Institute of Translation and Interpreting. She's a qualified member of the Institute since 2010 and qualified for five languages, French, English, Swahili, Lingala, and Kikongo. She established a linguistic company in 2009, serving international organizations in the United States, United Kingdom, and mainland Europe by helping refugees and asylum seekers to settle within various settlement programs, as well as supporting victims of war crimes. Ms. Kiyembe joined the assistant counsel list of the International Criminal Court in the victim support section. She's a member of the International Criminal Court Association and joined the language services of the Office of the Prosecutor at the International Criminal Unit. She's a qualified paralegal in civil court practice in Scotland and a board of director of the Scottish Refugee Council, where she served for three years. Deborah joined the Royal Society of Edinburgh, Young Academy of Scotland, representing refugee minorities, and has a seat as an expert lawyer for the Royal Society of Edinburgh Working Group for Africa that aim to develop relations on education, research, and sustainable development within the African continent. Deborah is the founder of Full Options, a charitable organization that runs between Scotland and Turkey, supporting victims of domestic violence and abuse after fleeing Syria and Iraq. Deborah made history at the Royal Society of Edinburgh from its 127 years of existence. Miss Deborah Kayembe became the first African citizen to have a portrait erected at the wall of the society, which included portraits of white male fellows from the society by honoring our achievements and contributions to the Scottish society. In the wake of the killing of George Floyd and the birth of the Black Lives Matter movement, Deborah survived an attempt of murder by white supremacists who ambushed her car tires with nails. At, at the result, Deborah began a campaign against racism by launching the Freedom Walk campaign, promoting racial justice, lobbying in favor of social reforms and community harmony. She petitioned the Scottish Parliament in favor of a curriculum reform on anti-racist education and decolonization. The petition is still being examined by the Scottish Parliament. In 2021, Deborah Kayembe made another history. She became the first person of color to be elected as rector of the University of Edinburgh in its 437 years history 
and the third woman to hold that position. During the celebration of the International Women's Day in 2022, Deborah was honored by the Scottish National Library by becoming one of the 100 women of Edinburgh celebrated in the mural of Trailblazer Women of Edinburgh. The mural is aimed to inspire young females in the capital and address the gender imbalance that exists in the Edinburgh Monument. On January 9th of this year, the French magazine Association des Femmes Inspirantes named Deborah Kayende on the list of 100 most inspiring women of the 21st century for the Francophone world, Africa, and Caribbean. Deborah, firstly, I have to congratulate you on all these numerous <laughs> accomplishments. You are a true ambassador for the Black race. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My <laughs> mind. This is amazing. I don't even know where to start from. Uh, it, it is. Uh, it, you just delighted my heart, my soul, everything about what you've done, despite the challenges that you face, being mm -hmm. ambushed, and all those challenges. You still, yeah. you still move on. You yeah. are a true role model. I still move on. What what did I do uh, better than our ancestors? Mm, mm. And they came into America. They fought for their freedoms. And we witness now Blacks taking their places in a society until the top. Mm. So they are my role models and I'm following them. <laughs> ooh, ooh, thank you, sister. Thank you. Well, welcome <laughs> to Reimagining Black Relations podcast. Thank um, you so much. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you first, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Where were you born? Where did you grow up? Yeah, I was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is an ancient uh, uh, Belgium colony. In this country, uh, speak French. Uh, for many years, we were the most stable country in Africa, 35 years under the reign of Mobutu Sese Seko. It was a dictatorship, but at that time, we had the best education can Af Africa can offer to all the African continent. We were the refuge of many countries, the refuge to the apartheid, the refuge in South Africa, the refuge to, to the, the, the struggle of Zimbabweans. So we welcome everyone in, in, in DRC. Uh, until in 1994, when... Um, Mobutu left power and someone else took over. That was Kabila. He came with our colleagues from our brothers and sisters from Rwanda. They, they came to DRC and they tried to get, we came to save you then things that went wrong until Rwanda became destabilized and 2 million refugees were welcome in DRC. We opened our door without checking who's coming in, why they're here, and we collapsed in the total chaos. We, until today, we have 27 years of foreign armies living in DRC and killing systematically our people, particularly women and girls. In 2008, we were the world capital of rape. That means in every two seconds, five women were raped in DRC, in Eastern Congo. As a young lawyer in my country, I started my fight there. My first year at university, 19 years old, at law school, I tried to understand the chaos around my country. What is going on here? Why are we suffering so much? I was born in a peaceful place. I was going to school every day. Now there's no more school for girls. Girls back to the kitchen. Now there's... So I'm starting my activism at such young age. 
fighting for the right to get access to education and the right to live at peace so young. I didn't realize my youthness at that time. I just realized the chaos around me and I have to stand for it within my community. So I continued fighting for human rights until I went to the bar, I went to the UN. The year where it was almost possible we can find peace, I was appointed a special envoy to human rights to the Human Rights Commission to investigate what happened in Easter Congo. But what I didn't know, it was people in the Easter Congo running the show. They were more powerful. And their problem was not killing. It was exterminating the Black race, finishing these people up so you can take the land, which is rich in mineral, so you can dominate the land. So colonization was almost the, the extent of that. Slavery was already there. So then I made that report explaining the true reason beyond the killings that everybody called something else, which in reality was something else. It was black people being exterminated in their own land systematically. May, may I just ask you, uh, Deborah, who were these people trying to exterminate or obliterate the black people in Congo. Who are these people? Who are we, who are we talking about? I would call them the international mafia using all the, all, uh, our own African brothers to exterminate the other, the other brothers. This is how I call them. They have no names. They don't have a, a identification. But you have to, to expose the motive, which is not the value of humanity. It's unhuman to go to a place, exterminate local people so you can possess the lands. Deborah, what exactly are they looking for in Congo? What is in Congo that made it a place that is worth exterminating people for? What exactly Congo, are they looking for? Congo is the most richest place in the planet. It is the lung of the planet in terms of climate change. It has all sorts of minerals that you can find all around the world. At the time the crisis Easter Congo escalated, it's when they, call, they, they discover cotton, the making of these mobile phones. So that was it. More they go on digging, more they're discovering more and more and more. And people who live around are not educated. They have little education, so they are exploited. You know, in the United States, when there was a time of cowboys, in a, in, in, where this is now in the Congo. You find, you kill, you take, you, you walk. You find, you kill, you take, you walk. You find a woman that possessed the land because all the boys were already killed. She's now the landowner. You rape her. You ask the son to rape the mother in the front of his own sister. So you break the people. It's the slavery method, breaking the minds. Deborah, this is heart-wrenching. My question is, how are the Congolese managing? The Congolese, you know, Congo is a vast country, vast country. The one in Easter Congo are the most incredible and most gorgeous people that the world have never seen. They made them stronger, more they are attacking them, more they are persecuting them. God first, 
put them into trouble. They multiply, they multiply, they multiply in a space that there is no vaccine. There is no wo clean water. They multiply, they multiply. It's like you kill 3,000, the next year 30,000 are born. So God is doing that job, believe me. God is doing that job because me as an intellectual, me as someone who has been to education, could make all the calculation. No one could be alive in this part of the world. They're still growing, like in the Bible, the Jewish growing, 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 growing. That's one. Secondly, when you continue to mistreat someone, you mistreat, the feeling is no longer there. You do whatever you like, they don't feel it anymore. It becomes a way of life. And I think Congo will pay that once all this is over, because I believe this will be over one day. So how to rebuild a community that suffers so much? Congo will have to pay that bill. You, you understand? So the Congolese now, like us, in a, and at that time when it started 20, 20, 25 years ago, we were young. Now we have grown up and God has blessed us. We are now in the position of taking the, 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 the microphone and say, listen, what's happening here? Come on and listen to it. So we're getting there. But the Congolese people have suffered deeply, deeply. Wow, wow. I'm, I'm just stunned. You know, as I'm hearing you, it reminds me of what happened to uh, the slaves in the United States, right? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, what, what do you think Congolese can learn from how the emancipation took place in the United States? Are there any opportunities there? Congolese people will certainly learn and they're learning from it every day because the way the Congolese community is emerging outside the Congo, it's quite astonishing. Okay, you have Congolese people all around the world getting into medicine, performing in medicine, performing in, in IT, performing on many things, on playing basketball. All these things are making Congolese understood that when, no matter how much you hurt us, we're still growing, we're still prospering. And I'm guessing the lesson of black people in America where centuries of people were segregated of all sorts of uh, treatment until one day we woke up in the morning, Barack Obama is, is president of the United States, Kamala Harris is vice president of the United States. For the Congolese, what, do we still have a hope? <laughs> we Ooh. still have a hope. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's all I can say to that. There's great hope. Then the question now for me is, what can Blacks do in general? Because even for me to be hearing this information raw, there's a big difference from hearing raw information than for reading about things, right, that you cannot yeah. identify with. So yeah. What can Black people do, not just in Congo, not just on the continent of Africa, but Black people, right, all over the world? Because if I go into Congo today, nobody's going to say, oh, you're Congolese or you're that. You're Black. I mean, oh, that doesn't you know. exist. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. So what can we do as a people, First, as a race? One of the things I think is important, and in my experience of working a month white, because my experience has been always working a month white, white, and always being the only person in the room, is that black need to take conscience of the the fact that they have been delayed systematically on the education what that exists around the world. You know what we call today a month the white day, the the prestigious education, 
they are standing education. It's colonized education that has been set up to make black to understand you inferior, the white is superior. No matter how you do, we're not gonna give you what you want to do. We're not gonna give you what you deserve. Black people need to set the mind and as thinking, okay, I am the best, but the the environment or the space in which I'm I, I am supposed to advance, it's already discriminating me as a black person. If people has conscience of that already, they're saying that we're still a little bit beyond on this because there is a systematic way that the world has been set up. Black will open their minds themselves. They will see another black coming. They will realize he needs my little 5% of military help because in the space he is, he didn't make it. Solidarity, solidarity. It's important. And black people need to stay away of the wrong thing that the white did around the world. Beating, killing, shouting. Black people need to get to the side of humanity. Okay? If white people set up medicine. This afternoon I was with my student at NYU Uni. And one of my students, she's, she's, she's a med student. And she said, the way medicine is set up is not to tell me I am the wrong person on the planet. I have the wrong gran. Skulls. I have the wrong skull. I have the wrong brain. That is the medicine I study here. My parents pay so much and they're teaching me my, my skulls is the inferior one. You understand that? So I was very happy to hear this student. So I said, oh, she got conscience of it. That there's something wrong about the way she's, even though she paid me, the, the fees end by uni, $50,000 per year. Yeah to study that your, your scores is the inferior one. The black needs to embrace the teaching of humanity. They have to stay away of the colonial methods. That's, that means dominate, exploit. And when you kill, you kill, you cut in pieces, you take the score, you take away. That's mm. colonization. It has to stop in Africa, mm. okay? Mm. If there is a war for dominating, we do like Shaka Zulu. We fought one by one. The one you won, go to your country. I take your land you become working for us in respect. We need to go to the method that our ancestor taught us to live. Even though the dominations of one people to another is something it is in the human way of people being created, we have to set up respect and dignity between us and contaminate the others from this dignity and respect in order to create the balance. Because if we continue to do just like the colon taught us, that's like the slave owner told us. You got your own black brother. You beat him there and not do this. Thing. We're not doing good at all. We're collapsing. Thank you for sharing that. I must ask you, how are you able to take this stand, this position mm. in your role as the rector, right, yeah. right mm. at the University of Edinburgh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, I had a cry two days ago. And you know why I cried? I was informed by my white students that the office where I am going to work every day has underneath it 1,700 scores of human remains that was taken between 1600 to 1920 in all over Cologne, all over the world. As trophy. So if, if, if you are me, you know, I... 
I look at the students and say, what did you say? Where is it? I mean, but they can open this for you. I'll tell them to open that for me. Where is this? This is the place. This is in the top of everything I face every day in this institution of 61,000 students, 42 staff. Some of them can just walk all over you like that, like they don't see you. <laughs> but I am... The, the presiding officer of the most powerful organ of new. That means in the morning I get you leave, tell the management, I want this person to go, <laughs> you know? And I'm not gonna fall on that. I'm not gonna fall on that. I know where is my limit and I know why I'm there. And I gave my, my tenure one thing, justice and peace, that's my legacy. There is no more legacy than that. And I know the price to this legacy. It's not a starting it, I started when I was 19 which eventually brought me to, to where I am, to the whole world, watching me and see how I'm progressing and standing for the truth, like my ancestor in America told me, or everywhere else in the world, in the Caribbean, stand for the truth. The truth is we are all born equal. We are all cre being created equal. That's it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you for standing. And thank you for your um, transparency about even in your position, right? Oh, you're yeah. still, you're oh, yeah. still vulnerable as a, not just a black person, as a black woman, right? Yeah. You're yeah. still vulnerable. I mean, hearing what you just said will break anyone's heart. Your ancestors, the bones of those people. And underneath my office. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Ooh. Oh, what is people thinking? Oh, oh, you know, media, the media will hear very soon because I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Not like this. Right. Not like this. No. Right. I I hear you. Wow, wow. I I mean, honestly, I, I wish we can just continue on and on um, to talk because there's just, there's so much that we need to cover. As you continue to speak, I would like you to expand on very specifically, mm. you have a white audience because mm. we are in the human race, right? Mm. The human race. If you mm. have a white audience, what mm. would you tell them today? First of all, there is something quite extraordinary about white people in, in this world. The white people, remember, they're the one who created slavery. They're the one who created colonization. They're the one who break it. And they want alongside the black to stop it. That is the power of humanity. But in this world, as it is collapsing now, because the world is collapsing, we have destroyed our planet. We, we, we went on research of bringing diseases to ourselves. We, we, we use diseases to exterminate people in Africa. I'm talking about we, the white establishment around the world. Everything they have done has failed. Now we, are, we have the impression we're coming to an end. The economy is going to be collapsed. The greed, yeah? The greed of things that they've put in the world is no longer working. For this white audience, it's a bad time for you, for you to set up the balance and to put the record straight. What I'm telling you, I have been in places no black person have been. I've been to meeting no black person have been. I made the decision where never any black person never made a decision in this world because I am who I am. But I'm saying this. If the establishment of the white power in this world does not look at its way and correct it, there will be a reverse. And then when the black takes over, the hatred of it, 
will hit the other. It's something I don't want to see. I will never invest to see any domination of black, white, white, black, 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 white, white. I don't want that. I want white people to realize that they put the, the world at its ends with their methods that was not in any value of humanity. It's time for them to think right and to value to all the value that humanity gives us. Peace, justice, compassion, kindness, respect. Thank you. That's very deep. What would you say to your Black brothers and sisters uh, if they're sitting in an audience right now? What would you like to tell them? What is certain is the last three years has shown us the situation in which the Blacks are. And I have also to say the death of George Floyd opened up a lot of sleeping pattern that we were sleeping on without knowing what was happening. I don't know what happened in America, but in the UK, there was this falling of statues all around the world. King Belgium II killed 60 million people in DRC. His statue was still there being praised until the day George Floyd died. The statue was toppled. Boom! That means the Black understood. What's happening here? Why were we sleeping? So the Black were listening to me. Open your eyes and read around you. Make a lecture of your space. Make a lecture of your own. And see if your right as an individual is respected. And if not, stand against him. And any mean necessary. Thank yeah. you. I know I promised to release you quickly, but is there anything you would like to share that I've not asked you? I mean, my thought today is that we are going to a cross world and it looks like the new power of finance and the new military power, which is China and Russia, are again going to the blacks to get control and to dominate the others. I think this is an opportunity for the Black themselves to realize that it's time for us to stand for ourselves. Anyone comes to us needs to be in a responsible partnership, not to accept any subjugation, any domination, not anymore. Chinese will come, Russia will come, the UK will come, America will come. The Black now, they manage to get the education, they set it up, they, they straight very quickly, Today, I'm not the only black woman who strive. There are many black women. There are many black men. They strive in their capacity. It's true, I'm still raging there. But what I am saying is black people have conscience. There's gonna be a shift. And, it, it, and this is my prophecy. A shift will come around the world. People will need peace. People will need justice. They will claim for that. They will be white, black, brown because they are tired. And for all black people around the world, be in solidarity and stand for your right. That's it. Oh, thank you. Deborah, thank you so much for the pleasure. Today. Thank you for having me. It was, it was truly a pleasure uh, hearing your insight on how we can reimagine our Black relations. And to all our listeners, don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and encourage them to subscribe on yourblackmatters.com. Also, if you have any feedback, please email me at francesca at yourblackmatters.com. Thank you again, Deborah, for this contribution to the history we're making together. I'm so excited to be a part of it. God bless you and your family. And to all our listeners, may God bless you as well. I mean, the Lord bless the United States of America. 
United Amen. Kingdom, Democratic Amen. Republic of Congo. May the Amen. Lord bless you all. See you next time.